Welcome to the Business Sphere. On this podcast, we want to share real stories and real struggles from entrepreneurs who have been where you are. John Fong interviews business professionals and entrepreneurs in many fields to uncover their successes and challenges. We take a deep dive into their journey and provide you with tips and advice to help your business today. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode. My guest today is keynote speaker and executive coach, Brenda Benz. She is ranked number eight of the world's top coaching professionals. Brenda helps companies and business executives achieve peak performance as leaders. Thanks for being on the show today, Brenda. Oh, thank you for inviting me, John. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Before, before we start, I wanted to ask you, if you don't mind sharing with the listeners, how did you get started in this industry? And what did you do in your past life to become who you are today? Wow, big question. Well, let me start with the first part, which is how did I become, how did I get into this profession? How did I get into this profession? I started my big corporate, big corporate career in Procter & Gamble. And when you go into P&G, John, the minute you walk in, you're either being coached or you're being taught how to be a coach. And so I just thought, well, all big companies are like this. And I loved the coaching culture. I love being coach. I love being a coach. It just, I felt like a fish in water. And then I left after many years of PNG and I went to another big corporation and they didn't have a coaching culture. And I thought, oh my gosh, there's no coaching here. And so I was really just, I really missed it. So I decided for my division, I had about 250 people, about a billion dollars of business. I was going to actually implement a coaching culture. And I'll tell you the truth, John, within 18 months, purely based on the coaching culture and some strategic moves, we shifted from number three in the market with lower than this number two by 10 points to number one in the market with a 25 point gap to number two. And that's the power of coaching. And so when I left the big corporate world and decided to start my own business, I said, I'm going to become a coach. And I also knew from being a senior executive, it was lonely at the top. And I really wanted to help senior leaders. They didn't have to be lonely at the top. And so that's really how I've made my career. And that's turned into keynote speaking. And I've written 11 books. And yeah, it's been a journey. It's been fun. Wow, that's amazing, Brenda. Um, If you don't mind sharing with the listeners, how long were you in this corporate world? And were there influences that got you started working at P&G and some of the other big, big corporations uh, before you left it? And what triggered you to leave yeah. the, the world? So there, uh, yeah, so I got into P&G, frankly, coming out of Harvard, at Harvard Business School. I went to HBS. And as I was leaving, they made us take a test. And in this test, uh, they made us take a corporate like career test, a P- uh, Harvard did. And I'm taking this test that I had to take, and it was asking all these questions about what you were going to be good at, what what you'd like to do. And it's a personality test that was based on, they had gone out and interviewed 2,000 of the best people in any given profession, CEOs, marketing directors, bus drivers, chefs, you name it, 2,000. And you had to go in and plot your personality. And they took your personality results and they plotted them to see how well they correlated with these various positions in the world. And I knew nothing about this. So I go in for my review. I had to go in, they had to come and tell me my results. And the woman looks at my results and she goes, have you thought about marketing? 
And I said, well, I don't know why. And she said, she showed me the results. My results were so high. They were literally, my dot for that was off the chart. It was physically not even on the chart. She said, I've never seen anything like this. You should think about marketing. I said, well, okay, I'll try marketing. So that's when I joined Procter & Gamble. If I'm going to go to marketing, I'll go to P&G. And uh, loved it. Like I was a fish in water, absolutely loved it. They allowed me to move overseas. I worked overseas with them in Europe first and then moved to Asia with them. Then I joined another big corporation and I was managing VP international marketing out of, out of Asia again for actually Thailand at that time. So I had lived in all those places. And then I decided that bug bit me, that bug of, I really want to start my own business. I want to be in charge of my own life. I was a harried executive, John. I was exhausted, working 24 hours a day, traveling all the time, hundreds of thousands of miles a year. I didn't see my husband as much as I wanted. I didn't see my family as much as I wanted. And then I just decided, you know what? I don't know what I'm running toward. I'll be perfectly honest, but I know what I'm running away from. And it's time to make that shift. And so I did. And I moved on to yeah, to, to starting my own business with a wing and a prayer, literally a wing and a prayer. And uh, started my business on April Fool's Day of the year that I started it. Just in case it didn't work out, I could run back to the corporate world and say, kidding, just kidding. Uh, so, but it worked out brilliantly. And I've started running my own business now for 19 years. Wow, 19 years. So it's yes. been a journey. And I'm sure this is your second path of career, right? From corporate to now you know, as an entrepreneur, there's a major shift in terms mm -hmm. of branding, marketing, your expertise, but also learning about how to grow, right? Scale and mm. take on new clients. Like when you're corporate, you have a lot of, I guess, people, access, resources. Yes. Um, now that you're independent, it's lonely. You don't have the funds and resources and access of brand recognition to get started and for all the listeners who are starting their business journey, how did you pivot from learning in corporate to your own brand? Well, I tell you the key was, first of all, network, network, network. Get to know people, even if you're in the corporate world, get to know as many people as possible. Why? Because then eventually that will help you later on. When I started my own business, I was so busy trying to finish up my corporate job that when I literally sat on April Fool's Day, starting my new, my new business in my extra bedroom with a desk that I stuck in there with a laptop, right? I remember sitting there thinking, what have I done? But I knew that I had resources and I knew that I had some resources such as my network. I knew I had people that I knew. So I reached out to everybody that I knew. Over the years, I've worked in many different locations. I'm starting my own business. This is what I'm gonna focus on. I would love, I would appreciate your support. Tell people about what I can offer. I would appreciate it. And it really, that's how the business started. I gave myself six months to find my first client. And six days later, I was finally where I was working. So, I mean, literally, I, I found my first clients really quickly. And I feel blessed about that ever since. We've That's never, amazing. ever had a slow period of time. It's been incredible. It's just been a beautiful trajectory upwards. And, and that's so important, too, because a lot of these uh, entrepreneurs, I would say, uh, they have a dream, they have an idea, but they have no experience or connections or network. They just want to be in business. So they jump in without even any analysis, relationships, and uh, thought process behind it, right? Um, so you come in, coming from corporate, having dealt with so many other 
men, you know, people and coaching and understanding what it, the gaps are and the needs are in the marketplace, allowed you to position into the marketplace with a compelling USP, I'm sure, that yeah. allowed you to then resonate with your network, to then mm -hmm. get your first client in six days, and you're still doing it for over 19 years. I am, and I'll tell you what else, John, is you really, if you're gonna spend time doing anything as a, new, as a new business owner, spend time with prospective clients. And I don't mean I'm trying to get them to buy from you, not at all. Use them as a focus group. Use them as an opportunity to say, I'm thinking about this. What's your advice? How would you, how would you recommend I go about it? Because you see when people, that's called the consultative method of influence. When you go to them and you say, hey, I, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I don't want any of that. I just want to know your point of view because I really respect you. So how would you go about this? What are the needs you think there are out there in the market? And here's what happens. Because you've gone to them and asked for advice and help and just to, on, on something that's going to help you, they're going to be invested in helping you. Everyone loves to be asked questions, right? And their advice. So use that as an opportunity to understand what are the needs in the market. By the way, the needs very important it's not just functional it's emotional yes what are the functional and the emotional needs of that customer find who that perfect customer is for you and focus on the functional and the emotional needs and that's how great brands are built it's because when you can we can all do functional needs we can all deliver specific services it is when the emotional need is being met and you nail that that you make people feel a sense of peace peace of mind relief you know, relief from stress, whatever it might be, that's what they will remember you for. So it's coming in with those responses that really hit that emotional need. And that's where you build a great brand. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you said it perfectly because um, when, you, when you're starting your loan, right? But over the course of many years, I'm sure you had influences that you respect. It could have been your parents, relatives, people that you went to school with or seniors, managers, colleagues, people that are in your circle. You, you might not have worked in big corporate, but you kind of knew other entrepreneurs and you saw how they were living and therefore you respected them. And by reaching out to them, asking them deep questions, letting them know what your thoughts and ideas, getting their perspective, gives you a sense of relief because people that at the top, like, Business owners are the greatest humans. I, I feel like they want to give and help support people that are new getting started because it, it is a difficult journey for them, right? So when you're out there just asking, it makes them feel so much more comfortable to give and they feel obligated this way. Well, and, and I think another, another group, I agree with you on the customer front, but also, you know, another thing, if you're starting up another business, get into a mastermind group. Get into a mastermind group. You know, they people who are in similar situations, not the same industry, strongly encourage that, just discourage that because it doesn't work. But find someone who is, is also trying to start a business and you can help each other see things through a different perspective. No one can ever see themselves the way others can. And so having that outside perspective is incredibly helpful. We've been a part of a mastermind group for many, 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 many years. I think like 15 years, actually, the same mastermind group. And they always help us look at things in a different way. They're from a different, slightly different business. They're from a different industry. And they are from uh, a different geography. So their perspective is going to be very different. And 
there's, and that doesn't cost us a penny. We're spending no money on it. We're just connecting frequently so that we can help each other. And it's incredibly uh, beneficial. So I encourage people to look at that too when you're starting out. And it's great advice because you coming from corporate in different cultures in different regions in the world, and there's still synergies in this entrepreneurial community, right? Um, let it be online digital or over a phone call, over email, you know, Zoom meetings like this. There's different ways to connect. And now that this internet is borderless, where anyone could connect anywhere, there's abundance amount of people in similar situations as where you are. You just have Absolutely. to put yourself out there. And yeah. a lot of people don't even know it exists, let alone trying to put it out there, right? Exactly. And so the idea of networking, you can do that around the world. I mean, if there's anything that the last couple of years has pointed out for us is that we are all connected and we can connect so easily with uh, online. We can just connect. And it's such a great opportunity. I can reach out to an entrepreneur in Finland or an entrepreneur in South Africa. And we can all have connections. We can all talk because honestly, we're going to be experiencing much of the same issues and challenges. So um, I, I just wanted to ask you now a little bit more about this 19 years of entrepreneurship. You mentioned you wrote 11 books. You're, you know, you, you still have that same drive. You know, you still love what you do. Like what keeps you going? Because usually there's ebbs and flows in this journey of entrepreneurship. That'll be very lonely. People are trying to discover themselves. They kind of rethink and revisit why they're doing what they're doing and what's that end goal, their, their vision and the ultimate why, right? Like what, what makes you keep doing what you do? Yeah, you know, I, I get up in the morning and I can't believe I get to do what I love and I love what I do. I mean, it's, it's just extraordinary to me. <clears throat> I love coaching and I coach at the highest levels of organizations. So I'm coach, coaching the C-suite, CXOs. I love it. I love the challenges that they face. And I love working with them to give them the support and the guidance they need to really succeed at that. Very, those are very challenging positions and I'm honored by that. And I coach people all around the world. So I'm an international too, which is what I love. I love the international aspects. I love keynote address and speaking. You know, you can address thousands of people at once and hopefully touch people's lives with messages that matter and make, and make a difference in their outcomes. And I love being an author. You know, someone picks up a book and you get an email in the morning and says, you know, my, oh my gosh, this passage just really spoke to me. And oh my gosh, this book's changed my life. I can't think of a better job. I really cannot think of a better job. So I, why I love what I do and I can't imagine changing it. Um, so I don't, and why I'm in one of those rare industries where the older you get, the better you get and the more, <laughs> and the more, and the more people really want you around. So it's, it's a lovely uh, industry to be in. So I say, love what you do. Absolutely love what you do. Be willing to pivot, be willing to be flexible. And the reason is I say that is where I thought this business was going to go and where it is today is quite, quite different, but it's a beautiful evolution. So you have to be open to what's happening in the market be willing to flex as need be. Make sure that it speaks to your heart where you're going. And I'm telling you, it's a recipe for success. It really is a recipe for success. That's great advice. Um, I wanted to ask also, during those 19 years, did your avatar change? And how often were you pivoting and changing to address that? Because like you mentioned, now you've keynote, but at the early stages, you probably didn't. 
how many years and what were some of the struggles that you had to endure because 19 years of entrepreneurship i'm doing it for eight years and i feel you know i i've got through the first five and i'm just hitting good strides right now and i'm very comfortable for, with what i'm doing because i love what i do supporting my team my clients and everything else yeah well, I started off pure branding, <clears throat> corporate branding. That was my expertise. That's what I knew. And so I really started there. But I always loved leadership and I always loved coaching. And so I was trying to find a way to marry the two in a way that would speak to me and to what I really loved most. And one day, it wasn't long after I started my business, it hit me. I thought, leadership branding, leadership branding personal branding, first of all, back then, personal branding was still relatively new. So personal branding, the idea of taking the same concepts that worked in big corporations to every brand that you know and love, Nike, Starbucks, McDonald's, whatever, has six elements that define them. And those six elements, you can take them and adapt them to people. And so that was the first system I came up with. So we're just going to come up with a brand of personal branding, how those six elements translated into humans can work to build a brand just like it does for household name brands. But then I said, well, I'm going to marry that with leadership to create leadership branding. And that's the way people perceive, think, and feel about you as a leader. And so it really got me into the leadership space, the coaching space. It was marrying my two loves, which was fantastic. Um, and then I moved it a little bit more into inspiring leadership brands. Like how do you, most leaders who say to me, I, I just want to be more inspiring. Like, how do I be inspiring? And so I really wanted to move, that speaks to me too. So how do you move into the inspiring arena, inspiring leadership and branding? And that was beautiful. And now, right now I'm really shifting into, it's similar, it's still leadership branding, but it's more about leadership branding from the inside out. And the reason I say this is because so much of life is being disrupted right now, John. So much of life is disruption. The way we communicate, talk, eat, um, you know, buy goods, travel. I mean, everything's changing. Everything's changing. And when the world outside of us is in a complete state of disruption, we have to disrupt as leaders, either self-leaders or leaders of others, we have to disrupt the one thing inside of us that can create true positive and lasting change. And that's the way we think. So leadership, branding, strong leadership starts as an inside job first and then shifts outside. And that's the way you handle this world that is in a constant state of shift. So that's kind of where the, yeah, it's kind of morphed over time, but every single time it morphed, it felt just right. Now you asked me about my services. I started off with pure consulting. And then I'll tell you what happened, John. I got tired of needing to give all the answers because <laughs> consulting, you have to come up with all the answers and it kept me up at night. What if I didn't get the right answer for this client? So I thought, you know what? What I'd really rather do is coach because coaching is helping them come up with the right answer for them. And so I moved into, I stopped doing consulting after a few years and went straight into, into coaching. And that naturally led into keynoting because as I, would coach a senior executive. He'd say, oh, I want you to address my, my leadership team, or I want you to come speak at our all hands meeting, you know, with 2000 people. And it just, yeah, it just was a natural, beautiful morphing. The books came about, if I can tell this story, the books came about because I was speaking on this proprietary system I'd created. And another, I won't go into the whole detail, but another speaker took all my stuff and presented it. Yeah right in front of me. 
So I thought, well, if it's that good that someone's willing to steal my stuff right in front of me, then I better get a book written quickly because this proprietary information will no longer be proprietary unless I write this book. So I'm, I look back at him now and, and bless him because he's the one who kicked my little, you know what, to get going on writing a book. Uh, a year later, I had a book out and uh, it's been, I've been writing books ever since and they've been translated into many languages. And so it's really, it's fantastic. Yeah. That's amazing. And were you always um, independent? Like, were you the sole business owner of your brand or did you develop a team? And how soon after that you got started, did you form that team to do a lot of the tasks that you probably dread doing? Yeah. Yes. Well, I, you know, I went from a big corporate world where I just walked down this hall and got market research and walked down the hall and did finance and walked, down, you know, they were all there for me. It did not look like that when I started my own business. Of course, you know that. Um, I started off right away with an assistant because I knew there were certain things I just didn't want to waste time on. I really wanted to focus on the foundations. Um, but I was super, then I got accountant and all that stuff. And I was supervising it all. And I have to tell you, that was probably my biggest mistake that I didn't outsource faster. I don't think you need to hire a lot of people up front, but in today's gig economy, my advice to entrepreneurs, outsource, outsource, outsource. Anything that you don't love doing, there will be somebody out there who love to do it for you. And, and it doesn't have to cost a lot to do this too. So that my first advice. So after five years of running, I think I had a team of I don't know, something like eight people. I can't remember at that time. I actually, my husband, I was looking for a good general manager. I thought if I could just find someone who'd be a really great general manager. Now, my husband was CFO of a major corporation as well, a big regional company. And uh, I was sitting down talking about what kind of characteristics do we want? And I suddenly realized, I think I know who would be really good at this job. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, he, we started working together and that was five years into the business. So we've been working together now for 14 years. Um, our business has changed in terms of our team. We outsourced tremendously. At one point in time, I think we had 22 different people working for us, but they were mainly gig economy folks all around the world. We did gig economy long before it was ever popular. Uh, so we were doing that a long time ago and we still do it. We love it. We have people all around the world, literally, um, that help us. Australia, the US, India, Europe. We have people all over the world helping us work our, we can hire the best at what they do in various locations in the world. I go to sleep at night, send off a task. I wake up in the morning and it's done. So it's a great system. So the size of the team is morphed over time, yeah. It, it's great advice, right? Because a lot of business owners think they have to do everything themselves. So therefore they're ultra stressed. They, they sleep well at night. They forget about like the life that they dreamt of wanting to achieve by getting into this new entrepreneurial journey of theirs. And then after a couple months or a year, it's not cut out for them. And they're like, I'm, I'm going to go back to my gig or get a salary, right? Um, yeah. So what would you say to a lot of these people, right? That are just starting off. Um, I know you gave advice on like the task, but a lot of people can't afford it early, right? Mm. And, you know, for me, I, I'm very lucky to have that sales background, right? That was my biggest skill set coming out of starting this company. So I went mm. out there understanding the gaps, needs, analysis, and then creating relationships and building upon what to sell them. But a lot of people don't have that skill set. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they can't even start a business because they're 
analyzing everything and trying to do everything, not really paying the bills. So I'm going to give advice that may surprise you. I'm going to give the advice that I really believe that it's better to start a business once you have a little money in your pocket. Let me tell you why. Um, first of all, you could fail because you don't have, you just simply don't have the funding you need. It does cost money at the beginning to get going. No matter how you do it, you're going to have to, either that or you're going to work 24 seven yourself doing stuff you hate. And you're going to go, why did I do this? This is crazy. I say, do what you love and let other people do the stuff that they love for you. So if you, but if you can't afford to pay them, then you end up doing stuff you don't always love. And you end up working so hard that you, you lose sight of the whole reason you did it in the first place. So I always say have enough money in your, in your bank account to fund you for, you know, I would say a year, probably just to get going for sure. I really do believe that's important because you'll, you'll be able to do what you love, get smart people to help you do it. And you'll be able to take off on a trajectory that will be much faster than if you had to scrimp and scroll and be careful. And you may or may not make it. And then you're you know, living paycheck to paycheck and wondering if you can pay. It's a miserable existence, right? So go in with this sense of that, of that I'm going to do this for a year. I've got enough to cover that and have some alternatives to, to, to be aware of if you need to. But I really think the other thing is you get paid by somebody else to learn the skills you need. Don't underestimate working in big corporations for a while. They teach you the skills you need to be able to be successful at what you want to do. And if you're not getting them from your big corporate job, then go to a big corporate job where you will learn what you need. By the time I started up my own business, I had done finance, accounting, administration, operations, HR, and marketing. Okay. And I went to a business school where I learned general management. So I was ready to start my business. I, I felt I had the skill sets that I needed well-rounded to do it. I didn't want to do a lot of that myself, but I knew enough to be able to supervise it. And I'd gotten paid on the way up to do that. So, you know, I think there's some benefits to that. I always tell entrepreneurs, I know it's really, it seems like it's, there's a Mark Zuckerberg's that run out right after you, never finish university or whatever. Most people don't have that story. So I say, make sure you have some money in the bank. Do it smartly so that you'll really take off. And maybe I'm going to ask you, going back, um, you know, in grade school or during those university college years, did you ever dream of like having your own kind of entrepreneurial business and being a coach? Or was there people that you kind of looked up at and said, I want to be like them? <laughs> No and no. Um, I'll be honest with you. I really didn't. I, I, had, I didn't even know there was a, such a thing as coach. I remember the first time I went to a coach training, I didn't, <laughs> a coach training. I just loved coaching. I didn't know. I thought you was just part of your natural leadership job. I went to a, someone said, oh, come to a weekend retreat on how to be a good coach. And I remember walking out of that weekend or take totally inspired thought I, I can do this is fantastic. One woman looked at me and said, so how much are you going to charge to do this? And I said, oh, people pay for this? <laughs> Seriously, I had no idea. Um, and of course, that's a significant part of our income at this stage. So I think you have to, um, I don't think you know. I always say people who grew up in there at the age of 12, they knew they wanted to be an accountant. I'm like, I am so glad that you do, but that's not been my story at all. I had no idea what I wanted to do. In fact, John, I will tell you, when I was an undergrad, I didn't know what I wanted to do but I was really sure what I did not want to do. And I did not want to be in business. 
yeah and <laughs> so that's, yeah that's great because you're you're telling the, the truth right like as you mature you become more wise you have different perspectives you engage in different work-life experiences encompass a lot of people along the way and by being curious or understanding like where the gaps are and understanding what you personally want to do climbing i feel is a lot of it because people have different circumstances throughout mm -hmm. that life journey they're mm -hmm. gonna have children family potentially mm -hmm. you gotta relocate for job career or any circumstance um, and they're forced into certain things we here in north america uk or australia western society we have choice we have access and resources and i feel so privileged that with that we're already one percent of the global population of doing things to our liking like we have access and information and choice like no one else does and therefore if you're not able to do something with it focus on what you enjoy doing yeah um like if you can't do it here there's nowhere else that you can do it like yeah. third world countries they're struggling to even have power right let alone right water now, fresh water and food right and nutrition yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, the other thing that I would say is, and it sounds um, foundational, and, and it's because it is, but it's so important, is when you, if you're going to do this, uh, too many entrepreneurs that I see, they come into it from a place of, oh my gosh, what if I fail? Oh my gosh, what if it doesn't work? Oh my gosh, what if I don't have enough funding? Oh my gosh, what if I can't find the right people? And that is really steeped, John, in a foundation of fear. It's a fear-based perspective on starting up your own business. And very rarely does that work. What I espouse and what I espouse in myself was coming at it from a place of possibility. Joy of possibility is what I call it. The potentiality behind this business, what could be. And if you look at all the great entrepreneurs in the world, I guarantee you, they came at it more from a place of joy of possibility, potentiality, what could be than the fear of, oh, but what if I fail? Oh, but what if it doesn't work out? Oh, but, right? And so really embracing that, watch your mindset as an entrepreneur. Are you falling into fear more? Are you moving, allowing yourself to really embrace the joy of possibility? And the difference in outcomes is tremendous. Yeah, like as an entrepreneur, being optimistic, having that growth mindset, ensuring that you're always positive. Um, it's very difficult when you're struggling yeah, but, but I agree with you, John, but don't, I, when I say, I actually have to be honest, I don't really care for the word positive, and I'll tell you why, because it sounds like we're going to sprinkle pink paint all over everything, and it's all going to be better. There are going to be challenges, but the challenges are what make us great entrepreneurs. When we can overcome those challenges, when we can find creative ways of getting out of it, when we can look at those challenges with objective curiosity and figure out how to solve them they actually become the best friends that we have because they move us into a better space. They move us into being able to solve problems for our clients or our customers as well. So I, I'm not a big fan of positive, but I am a big fan of possibility and potentiality. Every potential hurdle that I've ever, ever been faced with, and, and there have been plenty, as you can imagine, in 19 years of doing this, every single one of them in hindsight was an absolute blessing. I look back and I recognize how I grew. I learned our team got better. Our, my client servicing got better, whatever. Every single one of them made me better. 
So when we can shift that mindset and perspective away from a fear-based, oh my gosh, I'm failing, this is horrible, to a space of, okay, so that didn't work as, as we had planned, but how could we learn? What do we learn from that? What could we do better? How could we do it better next time? How will this shift the way we look at our strategy, our systems, our procedures, et cetera? Every single time. There is not a speech that I give. There is not one time I've given a speech that we don't come back to the office. We all sit around and we say, what went well? What didn't go well? What could we do differently? What will we do differently next time? Every single, they have never given the same speech twice because of that. And it's so important to reflect, right? Um, because in in hindsight, now that I look at, I've, I wasn't doing, I was in sales for 10 years. And every time after a sales call, I, I would write, I have a notebook and I would jot down pros and cons. What could I have done better? What could I have improved? And what will the up, outcome be, right? Like, what are my next steps? And by just jotting down these notes, it allowed me to really, analyze, get improved, and change, right? The next sales call. And by just doing these little, little things, it allowed me to become one of the better sales reps in different organizations that I was part of. But these little habits, you know, you you gain these habits and you get better and you improve and you try to, you know, not do the same mistakes that you did prior, right? But also, John, I would say it's not just not doing the same mistakes, because I, I agree with that, but it's also looking at what went well. Yes. You know, we are often our toughest critics. We focus on what didn't go well first, but in fact, say, you know, every time I've presented this type of thing to this type of audience, it always goes over well. It's that chance to go to the top of the mountain and look down on it from a big picture perspective and say, ah, that's really working well for this type of audience. Great. I'll keep that in mind for the future. So it's also, it's that balance of, it's really easy to be hard on yourself. And, ah, I didn't do that right. I didn't do that right. What did I do right? And what really resonated with the audience, with the customers, with readers? Yeah. So just a few more questions I want to ask you. So where has been the best place for you to travel to, first off? Uh, because you've been a global traveler, not just for work, and I'm sure for pleasure and leisure as well. And then, of course, uh, where do you see yourself in the next five minutes? Well, let me let me start with this. So travel, my goodness. First of all, you're hitting me at a time when I have not traveled in 18 months, which is extraordinary. I've, I've traveled my entire life. I'm a multi-multi-million um, miler. So it's a, such a rare thing, but I have traveled to almost a hundred countries. And so I really had a wonderful opportunity of traveling all around the world. Favorite places. This is very difficult because I really do love um, every place I go to is something beautiful to experience. Um, favorite countries, I would say probably, I love the South Island of New Zealand. I'll say that for my Kiwi friends. Uh, I loved um, I loved going to Italy. Italy is a lot of fun, a beautiful place, driving around Italy. Um, yeah, I would say those are probably two of my favorites. I like some off the beaten track places. Look, Thailand, we have a little place there. We love going to Thailand. Uh, we used to live in Thailand, so we have a, a warm spot in our heart you know, for Thailand as well. So yeah, it's just hard to say. We live in Singapore and we love Singapore. It's one of our... We, we lived all over the world. We always say we save the best for last because we really love living here. So it's a beautiful place to be based as well. So we're just really fortunate. Everywhere I go, I always try to find something uh, about the place that I really love. What's the next five years look like? Oh, it's exciting, John. I can see the future and I can't wait to be a part of it. 
I think that the world is on a precipice of really big and exciting changes. And I would love to be a part of helping to sustain people during those changes. There's so much coming up. I've got tons of more books, I book ideas, keynote speaking ideas. Um, I'm coaching more and more. I coach across six continents, um, enjoying working with um, you know celebrities and government officials, and it's just it's just it's just expanding and growing, and it's it's exciting. But I hope that I don't know all that's coming because I love the joy of surprise as well when it when I look at the future and see what's coming. That's amazing, Brenda. It sounds so much fun. And it sounds like you're enjoying every minute of it, minute of it, um, from your past life to your present life and your future life, right? That's, that's exactly how right. entrepreneurship mm -hmm. should be. Business ownership, mm -hmm. like you should be oh, yeah. excited to get started yeah. by inspiring and doing things that you love doing, actually helping others, right? Serving others, um, and I think you found your, you know, why. Right, like, what is it? I think you you hit in the nail and discovered that. Brenda. You know, the other thing I will say is, and I always tell this to young people in particular: do what you love, the money will come. So many people sell their souls by doing things that they don't really enjoy, but it pays the bills. And all that does is just zap, sap all the energy that you have out of yourself. You drain yourself and you come home at the end of the day, not enjoying life. And that is not what we're here for. I don't believe that. I think we're here to express our fullest potential to constantly be growing and expanding and developing. That's another thing I would say for entrepreneurs, John, invest in yourself. It's really easy to invest in the business and invest in what your customers want and your clients want. Invest in yourself. And you know that. You're, you're an avid reader and all of that. Invest in yourself. Um, learn from the best. Learn from the greatest. What they do well, what they didn't do well. What's going to resonate with, with you? What doesn't resonate with you? And just cherry pick all the greatness that you can and then listen to your own internal, I call it the inner coach. Listen to that inner coach and then you'll be beautifully guided to what's exactly right for you. Do what you love, the money will come. Yeah, great advice. You only live life once and might as well not regret any moment of it throughout that lifespan. And yes, there's gonna be situations that you're gonna face with. Everyone goes through challenges. It's how you overcome them. What are you doing differently that will get you ahead, right? Move you forward because everyone's going to complain. Everyone's going to say, you have no idea what I'm going through. Hmm. Well, it's okay. Everyone's going through different challenges. <clears throat> no one's living a perfect life. It's what are you going to do to move yourself ahead? Well, um, and don't underestimate, John. So one of the things I don't really like to look at anything as a challenge. That's just me. Because the truth, again, remember, it's not a challenge. It's an opportunity to shift your perspective. It really is. And that sounds really Pollyanna, but it's true. If you can shift your perspective, I can, I can name, I'll give you an example. I'm, Procter & Gamble moved me to Poland, okay, in the mid-90s. And it was a really difficult time to be living in Poland in the mid-90s. I won't lie. And I was newly single from a breakup. And it was a really, really difficult time. And there were times when I thought to myself, what have I done? I mean, 
I moved to this country. I don't know anybody. I don't speak the language. I don't. It's cold in the winter. It's miserable cold in the winter. It's the business was behind by 12 weeks because they were waiting for me to arrive. It, I worked 24 seven. I lived by myself in a big old house that was very cold. And, and I look back and I, and I, I laugh every time I tell that story for two reasons. Number one, I ended up in the heart of Central Europe during the time when it was the burgeoning growth area of the world. I learned more from that than I could have learned in a lifetime in other countries. Number two, 17 months after I moved there at a Sunday little Sunday morning gathering, I met a man who grew up about a mile from where I grew up and we ended up getting married. Okay. So, you know, I look back at that and say, if I had only looked at that experience as a challenge, I would have been miserable. If I looked at it and said, okay, I'm here, let's make the most of this. I wouldn't have been at that place on that Sunday morning. I wouldn't have been able to grow and develop as I had. So I think we really have to shift our perspective away from the concept of challenge into seeing it as opportunities with objective curiosity. One of my favorite things is objective curiosity. How is this going to move me forward? I can't wait to see what this is all about. Just making the most of every situation. Don't think about what you could have done differently. It's like, just live for the present. Enjoy what you have in front of you and live. And like you mentioned, objective curiosity. I was born curious, right? Because I didn't have much growing up. So I didn't know how other people live. So I would always inquire. I always try to figure out and ask and follow and kind of join different groups. And but that allowed me to now do what I actually love, right? To do, serve others, help others, have a great team that I fully support and do this, which is meet some great inspiring people that I would never have been able to meet if I didn't reach out, right? So I really wanna truly thank you, Brenda, for all the time, all the wisdom that you brought to the audience members today. Hopefully you had fun. If you oh, don't yeah. mind leaving with uh, maybe how, your, the audience members can reach you. Maybe if you have something that you want to offer or if they can visit your website and, and your services. Um, sure. Yeah, sure, John. Well, thank you. So what a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much. And I hope the listeners got a little bit of tidbits and some inspiration from this. Listen, you can reach me at brendabence.com, B-E-N-C-E.com. That's where my, my, my main website is, but I'm also on all the social media platforms, right? LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, Insta. Feel free to reach out that way too. My latest book is out. It's called The Forgotten Choice. It's all about shifting your mindset. It's about shifting the inside job to help you be successful on the outside. And you know, for your listeners, if you'd like, John, I, um, if they send me a receipt, they purchased that book, I will send them a complimentary companion guide. It's full of coaching questions and exercises and tips and extra information, it's 58 pages. Um, beautifully typeset, if I may say so, about how to really embrace this shift in mindset that really does get you where you want to go in life. So I'm happy to offer that free for anybody of your listeners that are interested in writing to me. Amazing. Well, I'm going to put that in the show notes. I want to thank you again for being on this show. And I look forward to connecting with you uh, offline. So again, thank you, Brenda. If you're ever in Toronto, Canada, ring me up. Thank you. Sounds fabulous. Thanks, John. All the best. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe to The Business Sphere and share this episode. Tune in next week for more interviews from entrepreneurs.